Great, thank you, Jack, for reading, and Calvin for, and the team for leading us. So it's been mentioned, we've been working our way through this wonderful book, the book of Philippians this term, in a series that we have called One Thing. And we're nearly at the end. This is the second to last message in that series. And we've been looking and learning about all sorts of different things as we've journeyed through this book together. And we've been reminded week after week that Paul, who's writing this letter uh, from house arrest in Rome, is writing to a church that he just really loves. There's a whole lot of warmth and affection in this letter. It's a very warm letter. And in his letter, he encourages the Philippian Christians to have one thing in mind, which is why we call this series One Thing. He's got this one focus we've been talking about. One thing I do, he says, and that is about pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And today, Jack has read, I think, probably what is the most familiar bit of Philippians. It may be familiar to some of you if you've been a Christian for a little while. And it's the kind of passage, do you know what I mean when I say it's the kind of passage that fridge magnets are made from? Do you know what I mean? When you pull out a lovely verse, you don't really think particularly deeply about it, but you stick it on your fridge because it sounds so lovely. So rejoice in the Lord always. Incredible verse. Let's stick it on our fridge. How about this one? Do not be anxious about anything. It's more powerful with a waterfall behind it. And whatever is lovely, think about such things, that kind of thing. Now, it's really great to quote these verses, and I'm sure it's a helpful thing to put them on your fridge. But actually, at the heart is something so much more than just a lovely verse that needs a lovely picture. There's some profound and deep teaching in Philippians chapter 4 that in this current moment, I sense that as, as humans, as God's children, we are so, so hungry for, so desperate for. This passage is about joy. It's about the Lord being near. And above all, it's about peace, something that we all want and need. And so I call this message the peace of God and the God of peace. If you look in your Bibles at the passage, Paul says in verse 7, and the peace of God, he says, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, he sums up the section by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. We can have the peace of God and we can know the God of peace. I'll be interested to know if anybody here made it to the uh, cathedral in the last few weeks to see the peace doves installation. Did people make it to that? Just put your hand up if you saw that. Oh, loads of people. It was really, really beautiful. Here are a couple of pictures. I went with my family. I really must get better at making selfies. But anyway, there we are. Um, It was so beautiful. Um, An installation made up of 15,000 individually handmade paper doves installed above the the nave of the cathedral. And each dove contained a handwritten message on it of peace and hope and love, written by various local community groups or schools or members of the public. And when it was lit up, it was really quite an amazing sight. And at a time when peace in the world seems quite a long way away in so many nations, and when peace in our own lives can seem so hard to find, I actually found it quite poignant and moving to stand under these doves and to have just my own moment of praying for peace. As we look at this passage today, there are two aspects to the peace of God and the God of peace 
that Paul highlights that I want just to bring out this morning. The first one is about the first couple of verses, about living at peace with each other. And the second is about allowing God's peace to guard us. So in verses 2 and 3, Paul talks about living at peace with each other. And he addresses two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who he is encouraging to agree together under God. You don't have many baby Syntyches, really, do you, these days? I think it's a bit lacking. Or Euodias, for that matter. And there's some kind of disagreement that Paul wants them to resolve. And he says to them in verse 2, I I plead with them. I plead with Euodia. I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, unity is really important to Paul. Be of the same mind, he says. And actually, there are echoes here of all sorts of other places where Paul says similar things. And in fact, back in chapter 2, he says something similar. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul says here, earlier in Philippians, elsewhere in his letters, that actually shared agreement of God's plans and purposes is what unites us, having the same kingdom mind. And part of peaceful living is seeking unified agreement together. Now, let me just make a comment while we're looking at these verses on the significance of these two women and the way that Paul refers to them. We don't know who they are in any detail. But the fact that they are referred to by name and individually, personally, reinforces the idea that these women were influential members of the Philippian church and and possibly its leaders, along with Clement, who is also mentioned. When he describes their ministry, he talks about them contending at his side in the cause of the gospel, alongside Paul in his ministry. And earlier in the letter, Paul describes Timothy in the same way. And he then goes on to call them co-workers. And earlier, back in chapter 2, Paul had referred to Epaphroditus in a similar way as his co-worker. So according to Paul, the ministries of the women, Euodia and Syntyche, were in some way comparable to the ministries of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And it just feels right, just to pause and comment here, that it is references like these, along with many other examples of women who were in significant ministry with Jesus and with Paul, that affirms to us our belief that women are able to serve in all spheres of Christian leadership. And there's a sense of sadness that in some church streams and denominations, gifted, godly and capable women haven't been able to use their leadership gifts. And we see the Bible releasing and empowering women. We don't actually talk or teach about this very much, but it's here in the passage, these two women, and I wanted to make a comment that our understanding of Scripture as leaders here in this church is that women can serve in church life and in wider ministry life at every level, and we are committed to breaking the glass ceiling for women in Christian leadership, which sadly is still really quite rare. Would God raise up more men, but also more women who will contend for the gospel as co-workers, as Paul describes Euodia and Syntyche. 
And it may be that it's helpful to hear that, but it may be for some, that's a particularly important word of healing or releasing, perhaps. So we're thinking about the peace of God and the God of peace, and how Paul, first of all, urges us to live at peace with each other. Peace means, in part, peaceable living, having the same mind together. And he then talks about allowing God's peace to guard us. If you look at verses 4 to 7 here, you will see that. Now, we've mentioned um, the, this refurb project this morning and how great it is to be back in this space together. I feel like some of you are drifting off from listening to me to keep looking at it, which is totally fine. Um, it's, it's been a big project. And you know, thank you again to all those of you who are involved. What an amazing team. And Andy referred to this in his prayer, that actually, we know, don't we, that the church isn't the building. We are the church. That's really important to us. The church is the people. When we go home today, the church leaves the building. We are the church. But buildings can be such a helpful resource, and they can also be special places of encountering God. And as we were working our way through this project over the last three weeks, someone described it, sensing something prophetic about it, of this being more than just a, a physical refresh, but a picture somehow of what God is doing among us, a sense of new things, a fresh new season, which, which resonates, and, and praise God for that. And our real prayer is that this place, whilst just being a building, would be somewhere where people experience something of Philippians 4 together. A place, as we've done today, where you come together and you can encourage each other to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice. To come with thanksgiving. To come in prayer about everything. To come presenting our requests to God. To come knowing the peace that passes all understanding and ending with that wonderful promise that we might also know that the God of peace will be with you. Many of you have had moments like that in this place before, and we hope that this building will continue to be a place of encounter with Jesus, for people of faith, for people on a journey of faith, to find his presence here and his peace here. And at the end, I'd love us to make some space to pray that for one another today. Paul talks about allowing God's peace to guard us. Not just when we're gathered like this in, in a kind of gathered way on a Sunday, but in every situation, on our individual walks at home, wherever we are, when we pray and petition in any time of anxiety or need. Now, the word guard that Paul uses here when he says the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds is actually a military term. And it could be translated, the peace of God will keep guard over your hearts and minds. Paul uses the same word back in 2 Corinthians 11 when he talks about a city being guarded or defended or patrolled, if you like, when he was arrested. This idea of strength and keeping guard over. Now, Paul had been through the absolute ringer in that same passage in 2 Corinthians 11. You can read about some of the things that he went through. Floggings, shipwreck, starvation, beatings, regularly imprisoned. And here he is, having had that journey from imprisonment in Rome, from under house arrest, talking about knowing the peace of God. 
What was his secret to go through all that and still be at peace in his heart? It was knowing that God promises to proactively, determinedly keep a guard over the precious thing that is our heart by his peace. Paul says that those who commit everything to him in prayer, verse 6, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, that can result in peace that follows. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. God's peace is supernatural. That means it's sometimes unexplainable. And time and again, I hear stories that against all the odds of people experiencing a peace that just can't be explained in and of themselves, that transcends our understanding. I want to show you a short clip um, with someone called Simon Thomas. Simon Thomas is the new host of Soccer Saturday, although he couldn't present yesterday because he had COVID, apparently. But uh, he's the new Soccer Saturday presenter. He was previously um, a Sky Sports presenter in various places. He was a Blue Peter presenter before that. You may remember that. Um, and he suffered a terrible tragedy several years ago when his wife died suddenly, aged 40. And he talks about that really candidly in this clip. And I just want to give you a heads up for those for whom this is sensitive. He does talk openly about his loss here um, in this clip. He's a Christian and he refers to Philippians 4 verse 7 directly, talking about God's unexplainable peace in the midst of the most terrible of situations. Have a look at this short clip. In the autumn of 2017, you know, life was good. I was presenting the Premier League of Sky, so I'd got kind of to the top. We had an eight-year-old boy called Ethan. We married 12 and a bit years. And then really out of nowhere, Gemma starts to feel quite ill. All of a sudden, headaches that wouldn't go, bruises that were not going, immense fatigue. And we went from, on a Monday night, her being diagnosed with a blood cancer of some sort. And for a couple of days, Things were looking okay and the treatment was going well and then everything just cartwheeled out of control on the Friday. She falls unconscious and by 8.30 that Friday morning I'm being told by a consultant she's not going to see out the day. And the very foundations on which your life feels like it's been built are trembling like, like there's a massive life earthquake going on. And by quarter to six on that Friday in November 2017, at the age of 40, with an eight-year-old son and a husband, she's gone. And the first thing that I did when I came out of the hospital that night was I just sank to my knees and shouted at God, why? Why, why, why? Why have you left my boy without a mum? I don't get it. I don't get you, God. And anger was the theme of those first few weeks in terms of my relationship with God. Because I prayed with the most faith I've ever prayed on that Friday, in that November of 2017, that God would intervene. That the bleeding in her head that had led to this catastrophic chain of events on that day would stop, but it didn't. I remember the day of her funeral and I remember the, the hearse coming down through the December darkness and seeing the lights of the hearse at the gates and I just, I just collapsed onto the gravel in, in agony and I just shouted out no and it kind of reverberated across the crematorium and the cemetery and uh, a mate of mine called Carl, who's just an amazing Christian guy, and my friends kind of hauled me back up again, the gravel falling off my suit. And he prayed this prayer and I still can hear his gruff voice now. And he just said, God, I pray right now in this moment that your peace would descend on this place and on this man and on this family, amen. And into this 
cold chapel we went, which was everything I imagined it to be, just grim, lacking any kind of hope. And yet for the first time that day, this remarkable peace descended. For the first time since everything had happened in those first three weeks, I was able to smile at the memories I had of being alongside Gemma, of all those moments we had together as a family and as a couple, and felt at peace with where we were now. Now, it's not saying that everything that followed after that was easy, because it really wasn't. But for the briefest of moments, this remarkable peace descended to such an extent that later that evening, a friend of mine who doesn't really have a faith, she said to me, I've never felt a sense of peace like I felt in that place, and yet that place was horrible. And that's what that peace is that passes all understanding. It's God's peace coming into places where you objectively look at it and think there should be no sense of peace here. This is horrible. Your first wife has died at half time in life. Your son now doesn't have a mother. We are full of grief. We are full of pain. We are hurting and yet we feel at peace. It's God's peace breaking to places of chaos. That's why it surpasses all understanding because when you look at it from a human point of view, it makes no sense. It's quite powerful to listen to because it's the reality why it happened in the first place and it, it went on being difficult terribly difficult. There are, there are no answers sometimes, are there? There are, no, there are no platitudes about suffering. And yet he describes God's peace breaking into places of chaos and pain, unexplainable peace. Now, I'm sure that would have stirred up emotions in us as we watched it. Some of us here are grieving today. That would have hit home. There'll be all sorts of other reasons why some of us are in need for a deep sense of peace. Some of us will be carrying anxiety about work or family circumstances or relationships or ill health. And of course, we can't drum up peace and make it happen. And these verses also aren't to be some kind of guilt trip that says, you know, don't be anxious, just pray about everything. This, these verses are actually a, a kindness of God. There's a, there's, the, these verses are grace laying down our burdens, accepting that we pray in all things because we can't change anything ourselves, praying with thankfulness because we trust underneath that God is always good and he's kind and that he hears us. And the kind of peace that God offers isn't a, a passive peace, but an active peace that guards proactively, that fights on our behalf, guarding our hearts. And as Paul says in verse 9, he's talked about the peace of God. And then we will know the presence of the God of peace. 